Tonight's reading is from Exodus chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Wonderful. Thank you, Ian, very much indeed. Some of you know that uh, around this time last year, I was at Mercy Mission in India. And as part of that time, three days of teaching with the pastors who were linked with the mission, other church leaders locally and the students at the college. And uh, as with previous visits, this was a superb time. And on this occasion, I took different Old Testament characters for each of the three days. So we spent one day looking at Abraham and thought particularly of his faith. We took a day looking at Moses, thinking of his leadership, and a day looking at Daniel and the Babylonian culture in which Daniel was absorbed, but how he retained his distinctiveness as a Christian. And within the day on Moses, when we got to this section of the story in Exodus chapter 6, it really felt like one of those very powerful times when God was speaking. And as I reflected on it, it made me think, what was so significant about when I got to Exodus chapter 6? The style of teaching in India is very much from the front, so it's a very different style to what we would do today. If we gathered a group of pastors together, uh, it would be very interactive, and we'd have a very varied program through the day. The expectation in India is really primarily for the speaking to be from the front. So uh, we were kind of using the day to work our way through many different chapters uh, in these different themes, lots and lots of speaking. But this one was significant. Many of the pastors felt they were facing huge challenges at that moment, mainly due to the increase in pressure from the predominantly Hindu government that you've heard about before, a pressure against Christians and conversion to Christianity and the influence of uh, Christians from other parts of the world. And there was also pressure of extreme poverty and of ill health. Indeed, one church where I spoke on a Sunday the catalogue of illness presented by the congregation was huge. It was as if everyone had something seriously wrong with them 
and no access to medical assistance. And there was a sense in which the pastors were carrying the burden of ill health in the congregations, of extreme poverty amongst some of the people, of pressure from the government against what they were doing. You could sense the heaviness that was building up amongst these pastors, a spiritual battle and a very challenging context. And we came to this bit of the story of Moses and Pharaoh. And I think they felt a close association with this part of the story. Moses was close to giving up. He'd had a good moan to God in the previous chapter at the end, in chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Why Is this why you've sent me? Ever since I went to the Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued them at all. Nothing has happened. It's got worse rather than better. And Moses was having a very good moan. Pharaoh was not responding to his appeals to let the Israelites free from Egypt. It felt as if there was an insurmountable barrier and no way through. And then we read the words of chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to the Pharaoh. Now you'll see what I'm going to do. And in this passage, God promises a great fruit future to the people of Israel. Here is a promise of hope when everything seemed utterly hopeless. And what we're doing really in the evenings in some of these sermons is kind of underpinning some of our hope services in the mornings with some thinking from the Old Testament about the message of hope, which is as much in the Old Testament as it is in the New. Now, there are times when we get to this place. Not often, thankfully, but I expect most of you have been at crisis moments in your life when you don't really know which way to turn. Moses was in that place. And I think it's very timely for us to remember how God spoke to him and how God will speak to us in moments when it seems as if there are insurmountable barriers around us. But before we get into the detail of what God promises in these words, we find that God also spoke to Moses about a new name. The Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, verse 2, I am the Lord. He says, I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty. These are two different names for God. The earliest name by which God was known was in the Hebrew language, Elohim, God Almighty. The God to whom all power belongs. The Almighty, eternal creator. That was itself a name that was full of meaning. It was used in the creation story, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth the Elohim, the powerful God, created the heavens and earth. But in the time of Moses, God made himself known by a different name. In Hebrew, Yahweh, which was a remarkable name for God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. It was a name that had movement and life about it. When Moses tried to understand God a few chapters earlier at the burning bush, 
and asked him to explain this name. The response was, I am who I am. I am a living, dynamic God who's always making himself known in word and deed. And as he does so, we find that his name takes on a richer and fuller meaning. When God says, I am the Lord, it's not as if there's a tight, static formula about him. It's rather the truth that he is utterly awesome. I am the sum total of all my deeds and words, the source of all power, the center of all life, the Lord Almighty. It's as if Yahweh embraces all that was there in the name Elohim, but it has even more. Because I am a Lord, the Lord whose, whose name, whose character evolves more and more as I make myself known more and more. It's an amazing title for God. Moses was having a bit of a moan because Pharaoh was not responding favorably to the Israelites and in that setting, God said, I am the Lord. We ourselves might rightly say, I believe in Jesus. And for many of us, we know that our faith is right at the heart of our lives. But I believe we all need to hear again from God these vital words, I am the Lord. I am the one who always reveals more of myself. In the time of our reading, Moses was saying to God, things are not working out as I want them to. Why are you letting this all happen? And God responded, I am the Lord. That's very, very powerful. I'm in control, says God. And remember that in this particular name, there is both an expression of who God is and what he is doing. I am the Lord is a statement of his authority. I am the great, mighty, powerful God who is eternal and unchanging. But it's also an expression of his activity. I am who I am. You will know me and recognize me by the work I do. And there's always more of me to discover. This was the new name that God was revealing to Moses. And then having explained this new name, God gave Moses some indication about what he was going to do. And I like to illustrate these verses, verses 6, 7, and 8, to some extent in a diagram, which has a kind of umbrella promise, and then it also has some detail underneath it. And the umbrella promise is in the words that we've already considered, I am the Lord. The new name of God sits at the top. It sits, if you like, as the umbrella of these statements. If you like, what follows underneath are God's I wills to the nation through Moses at that time. They're pointers to what God is wanting to do among his people at all times and in all places. Whatever the barriers, whatever the insurmountable hurdles we might face, this is the kind of thing that God wants to do. And he does it because of his name. I am the Lord. Because of who he is, this is what he does. And here are the promises of hope that were given to Moses and that are significant to us as well. There are six in all, so I'll only just give you the bullet points 
for these. But the God who says, I am the Lord, then said to Moses, first of all, I will bring you out. I'll bring you out. For the Israelites at that time, of course, slavery was a terrible reality. Particularly, it seems that they were used as slaves in the construction work at Pithom and at uh, Ramses. And if you travel to Egypt today, you'll find that some of the massive brickwork is still in evidence and shows that the walls of Pithom were made of bricks without straw. Such slavery was a terrible physical torture to the Israelites. But the promise of God was to remove them from that place, a physical change in their lives. For us, the promise may not be exactly the same. God may indeed take away the barrier you face. God may indeed remove the obstacle in the way, or he may remove you from what is a barrier to your growth and development. Or he may give you the strength to know his presence within that situation. But what is quite clear is that God is not going to sit back and do nothing. That is not his character. I am the Lord has action about it. It has a stirring of the spirit. I will bring you out. God will take you by the hand. And there will be movement. There will be action. The second promise, I will set you free. And in the time of Moses, a literal freedom from slavery. For us, maybe some of the promises of freedom in the time that we live after Jesus Christ. The freedom from sin. That sin is no longer your master. That you are set free to live a Christ-like, godly life. Freedom from other people. That you don't constantly feel under pressure from those who are looking over your shoulder. A freedom from guilt that the things that have happened in the past no longer hold you back from living as Jesus wants you to live. And the freedom from circumstances that you can keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and therefore the circumstances around will not overwhelm you. On the one hand, God says, I am the Lord, which rather implies that in the Christian life, he is the master and we are slaves. But then in the next breath, he says, I will set you free. You're not slaves, you're free. And that's precisely the heart of Christianity. That the one who expects our total commitment because he is the Lord is the same one who releases us out of all forms of slavery into the freedom of life in Christ. I will set you free. I will redeem you is the third promise. Peter explains it clearly in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. I will redeem you. A price has been paid, a sacrifice has been made. There is full redemption when you trust completely in Jesus. I will redeem you. The fourth promise is I will take you as my own. Where do you belong today? Where do I belong? You belong in a family. Even if you live alone, most of us have some people somewhere in the world who we can call part of our family. 
You belong in a neighborhood. Unless you're totally isolated in an incredibly rural location with no neighbors whatsoever, most of us belong in a neighborhood. You may belong to a place of work or study. You may belong to a voluntary organization of some kind, or a fitness club, or a babysitting circle, or a special interest group, whatever it is. But God is saying that the most significant sense of belonging should be with the people of God who belong to the Lord. I will take you as my own, so you belong with the people of God. The promise, the God who promised freedom did not leave his people in isolation. I will take you out. I will bring you as my own. Freedom from those negatives leads to a positive of belonging to Christ and his kingdom. We belong to God. We belong to one another. And that phrase, one another, occurs so many times in the New Testament. It's a very powerful expression of the Christian community that we belong. I will take you as my own. The fifth promise is that I will be your God. Remember the well-used illustration of the spokes of the wheel. The closer you get to the center, the closer you get to other spokes. We need to hear the Lord saying, this evening, I am the Lord, and think of him as at the center of the wheel. And as we come closer to him, we become closer to other people, an important part of belonging. And together, we become a central and guiding influence to the wider society that's around us. Because God says, the Lord says, I will be your God. And the sixth promise is that I will bring you to the land. For the people of Israel, the promise was the fulfillment, found its fulfillment, of course, in the land of Canaan. Released from slavery in Egypt, remarkably delivered across the Red Sea, wandering from years through the wilderness, but finally reaching their destiny in the land of Canaan. Our promised land is not to be found in the Middle East or anywhere else on the world map. Our promised land is initially the community of God's people here on earth, where we belong, here and now, and ultimately, it is God's promise of heaven itself. And there Jesus waits to receive us as we complete our journey of faith. And because our eyes are fixed towards that final destiny, it affects the way that we approach our life here on earth. We're less anxious to communicate. Sorry, we're less anxious to accumulate for ourselves. More eager to bring something of God's wonderful love into the lives of others. From the perspective of heaven, everything on earth takes a new and different meaning. There was an American tourist who made a visit to the 19th century Polish rabbi, Hofes Shem. And astonished to see that the rabbi's home was only a simple room filled with books, plus a table and a bench. The tourist asked, where, Rabbi, where is your furniture? Where is yours? replied the rabbi. Mine, asked the puzzled American. I'm a visitor here. I'm only passing through. So am I, 
said the rabbi. And so you and so am I in this world, we're just passing through because the greater destiny is yet to come. Our destiny is in heaven and there our life reaches its fullest and finest meaning. So what we do here on earth is part of that journey towards that final destiny. And we need to travel light with eyes fixed upon Jesus. Because he says, I will bring you to that land. So these are the promises. I will bring you out. I will set you free. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land. And they sit under the umbrella of this powerful word, I am the Lord, the God who is active, who will be known more and more by what he does. And the more we grasp the character of God, the Yahweh, who is engaging in this world, active among his people, the more we will see the fulfillment of those promises and live in a way in which those promises come real in our lives. They were particularly to the people of Israel at a specific time and place. But they apply to all times and places, so they were particularly pertinent to the Indian pastors that I spoke to this time last year. And in a very different context, they are relevant to us today. I will bring you out. I will set you free. I will redeem you. I'll take you as I, my own. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land. Does that encourage you this evening? Whatever you're thinking and feeling, however life is, just as this moment, does that really encourage you to realize who God is and how he promises to lead you into a better place so that whatever the seeming barriers, hurdles, challenges, nothing is too difficult for our Lord Almighty because he says, I am the Lord.